0: Church family, um, that was that was cool. <laughs> um, so this morning we're going to be in uh, Matthew twenty-four, one through fourteen. Um, before I read that, I want to share with you guys uh, in Acts nine, like the song we sang. Um, Who are you, Lord, that we worship you? Right um, when Jesus showed Himself to to um, Saul and Paul on uh, the road to Damascus, Paul. Or he asked, right? Who are you, Lord? That's that's something that we should uh, be asking every day, right? To seek more of who who God is, right? and then the second question he asked is, Lord, what do you want me to do? And I think for sure we know that He wants us to be in His Word. So, just an encouragement there. Um, again, yeah, one year Bible a great way to to get in to know more of God, right, and to see what he wants us to do. So Matthew 24, 1 through 14. It says, Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now as he sat on the mountain of olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Remember, those are the questions that Jackie wanted us to uh, meditate on, right? Um, And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. And you will hear of Wars and rumors of wars, see that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to the tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated for by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Let's pray. Lord Father, we thank you, God, for your word. Thank you for your son. We thank you, God, for your truth, and we ask that you would open our eyes and our hearts, Lord, to your word, to your truth, Lord God, lead us in your spirit this day as we uh, hear your word, Lord Father. And, um, we ask that you would Um, prepare Jackie, Lord, as well, to speak your words. And uh, we also lift up the the children um, and the teachers, Lord God, and pray that you would keep your hand upon them as well today. In Jesus' name we pray and believe. Amen. Amen. And children are dismissed.
1: (coughs) See you guys. Have fun, all right? Good luck. All right. So we were supposed to finish verse 14 last week, and we failed. (laughs) And so this week, we're supposed to go to verse 14. I hold out a little bit more hope that we'll get there this time. Um, While we're, we're discussing these things, I uh, wanted to say something also about the Made for More conference that's coming up in two weeks, two weeks, right? <clears throat> I have a dream. That's a, a great man started a speech like that, or at least a great speech like that. I don't know if there's any great men, but it was a great speech. I have a dream. Now, I'm, I'm at least part crazy, okay? So if, if you guys didn't know that before he came here, first time visitor, let me just get this out of the way. I'm part crazy for sure, but I have this, I've had this from, really from the, from my, the first time I've been here, the first time I came all the way back in uh, July, I think it was July 12th, 2009, and um, I had this crazy dream that the body of Christ can exist together without schismata, and I still believe that. And it's amazing to me, and Don could probably share even more than I can, that it is the links that you have to go to to do something together with more than one church. It ought not to be that way. So, one of my, well, one of the men I deeply respect, uh, other pastors, is. Uh, Pastor Paul Thompson, he's out of Eastside Baptist. Him and I disagree on a lot of things about the Bible. But that man is my brother. And we serve the same Christ. And we want to see souls saved. We want to see people enter the kingdom. We want to see people grow in their faith. We ought to be able to do something together. Right? So it's important for us... The reason why that's important for me here in Matthew 24 is there is a wide variety of ways people look at eschatology. Eschatology is the long word for the study of end times. And not any of those views should divide us. We should have the freedom in that space to say, one person may say, I'm pre mill pre-trib. Someone else might say, I'm... I'm uh, uh, Post-trib pre-mill. Someone else might say I'm on mill. Someone else might say I'm post-mill, and you might not know what any of those words mean. But the important part of that is there's one Christ and there's one name under heaven by which men must be saved. Yeah. <clears throat> <clears throat> and so, so when we think about that, we we're gonna. You're, trust me, you're gonna be tested. We have. Uh, Well, we, I have a vision of seeing more unity in the body of Christ and less division. Now I know that's simple to say it's difficult to do, right? There are issues. It's not just, we just extend the right hand of fellowship to every possible idea out there. But there is a concept, I think, biblical concept where we sit around a table and we hear one another and what's the final arbiter in our decisions? What's the final arbiter in right or wrong, we agree or disagree? It's the word of God, right? So as long as that's our final arbiter, now we're not, we don't want to be, um, what's the right word? We don't want to be too simplistic. There are oftentimes lots of ways to interpret the word of God. In case you didn't know that, this is Bible study 101. There are lots of ways that you can, a person can interpret the word of God. There is one that is correct. But you and I, we're fallen beings, so we may struggle in connecting the dots all the time. So we want to be gracious toward one another and and help one another grow in that, okay? We want to try to grow into that, Understanding. We want to, we want to, our challenge as biblical theologians, you and I, our challenge is to understand what the writer intended for us to understand. That's the goal. That should be, the goal should not be to be right in an argument. The goal should be what is the author trying to express to me? And then to stand in that, right? To hold fast to that. And we have help, don't we? As a believer in Jesus Christ, do we have help when we come to Bible study? We have the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit is with is the Holy Spirit also with those of my brethren who disagree with me? Yeah, and I promise you that Holy Spirit is not leading us to division. So we need, there's some challenges we're gonna face moving forward, but we should be okay with that, because Matthew 24 didn't say, you know what, the path you're going to walk in following me, Jesus did not say, the path you're going to walk in following me is easy, it's covered with rose petals, it's downhill both ways, there'll be no struggle or difficulty, is that what it says in Matthew 24? You're going to know, yeah, the path is straight, narrow, and you have to die how often? Daily die daily, pick up your cross, and follow me. We want to do that. So last time we discussed, I don't want to go back and or, or we'll never get out of the third verse. <clears throat> last time we talked about some of the background, okay? That the house, the temple has been abandoned. The Lord has abandoned the temple. He spoke those words in Matthew 23 Uh, Jesus said, you're not going to see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, which is, in my view, a profession of faith in Christ. He had come to preserve the place of prayer in the temple. He cleansed the temple, but when he left the temple, he said, see, your house is left to you desolate. He declared on his way, leaving the temple, he came to a fig tree that had lots of branches and no fruit, and he curse the fig tree. All of these are are illustrations of about what Jesus has been dealing with with a religious system that is coming to its close. The old covenant is passing away. There is a new covenant coming. Right? That new covenant in the blood of Jesus Christ. And then you have a direct link between the glory of the Lord departing the temple in Ezekiel chapter 10 and 11. And in the Gospels, as Jesus leaves the temple the last time and walks over to the Mount of Olives and tells his disciples, not one stone will be left on another. Okay? So then when we look at verse 3, he says this phrase. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately and said, tell us, when will these things be? Now, what do you think they're asking when they say that? When is the temple going to be destroyed? Now, most of the time, not always, but most of the time when we come to Matthew 24, that question just gets circumvented. We put that off to the side somewhere and we start talking about Jesus' return. But remember last time I asked you to think about, meditate on what did the disciples mean by the questions they asked. Not what do you think they, that means, because when we see your coming, we, we're thinking about the coming of Jesus Christ again, amen? Amen. Because we've we've lived most of our lives looking for that glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, right? So that's how we see coming. The question is, what did they mean? Don't don't miss the fact that the disciples, when they're asking this question, do they fully grasp that Jesus is going to die, that he's going to be buried, that he'll rise again on the third day? So, but I do think one of the things that's, like, in the forefront of their mind is the kingdom. Like, when are you coming? When when is this kingdom kicking off? When's the temple going to be destroyed? What are the signs of your coming as king? And I think they had a different view of that than what Jesus is going to talk about. Amen? There's something different about that. And they understood this next phrase, and what is the sign of the end of the age? It does not say the end of the world, the end of the age. What age? While well, the temple is going to be destroyed, Israel is going to cease to be a nation. What age is passing away? The writer of Hebrews tells to, the, to the, the people, the Hebrew believers who are struggling with walking out their faith and thinking about going back into worship in the temple again while the temple was still there. You guys remember? You guys familiar with Hebrews. And the writer of Hebrews says, hey, 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 these things are what? Passing away. There are times in the New Testament where we conflate the last days with our understanding of the last days and not understanding what they meant by last days. Because they're looking at the last days of the old covenant. The old covenant is passing away. Right? Jesus said... This cup, as he instituted the Lord's Supper, right, with his disciples on the Last Supper. You guys with me? He said, this is the new covenant of my blood shed for you. There's a new covenant coming. The old is passing away. What was the symbol of the old? The temple is a symbol of the old. The temple where they would go to worship. And for sure, the law. But the law doesn't pass away. But the temple does. So he has the, this view of the temple. Now, this is forefront in the disciples' mind. It's not for us because there's not been a temple for a long time, right? There's not been a temple in Israel for a long time. With my entire life, since I was a child, has been filled with talk about building another temple. But there's still not another temple, Right? So there's something that was passing away. For them, this was a big deal, and and to them, they're linked. The idea of Jesus coming as king, establishing his kingdom, and the end of the temple, that's got to go together. That's got to go together. And I think that's a lot of what's behind their question. Now, as we move on to verse 4, Jesus is going to describe for us non-signs. So if you like to write down, do yourself a favor and write that down. Because he's gonna say these are not signs. <laughs> but these are the exact signs everybody wants to talk about all the time, right? And we're gonna talk about them because we don't wanna let that off. So he said Jesus answered and said to them, number one, see that no one, see that no one leads you astray. So the first thing that he warns them of is deception. Number one, deception is the very first issue. See that no one leads you astray. Because there is only one king. There will be many pretenders who say that they are the answer to all the world's problems. Wasn't that long ago, there was a song about how Zelensky was the answer to all the world's problems. You guys remember? If you were paying attention, it was all over YouTube. Oh, can one man save the world? Well, the answer was yes, but not that guy. Right? That man can't. But what is that? What is that a picture of? Anyone who says that they have the answer to all the world's problems, we have a new ideology. If you will buy into all these things, we can finally have peace. We can dwell together in unity. And all of that is deception. Jesus says, Let no man deceive you, for many will come in my name and say, I am the Christ. And they will do what? Lead how many? They will lead many astray. When we look at Revelation chapter 6, the first horseman of the apocalypse is a rider on a white horse, right? And he comes promising peace, but what does he deliver? Right behind him is the horse of war, right? He comes with a promise of deliverance, a promise of peace, a promise of something. And Look, I have all the answers to the problems of life, And so we have biblically a pattern, a pattern where deception is the the rule of the day to lead people astray from trusting that Christ is the only king that we need. And so Jesus begins when he's talking to his disciples. Now, are they going to face any of these things? In their lifetime, is this going to be a, a reality for them? One of the men in that crowd on the, on the uh, Mount of Olives is John, and he's going to write this, 1 John 2.18. My children, it is the last hour. Ask yourself which hour that is. Of what age? Little children, it is the last hour. And it, you have heard that Antichrist is coming, and so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. One of the things that Jesus said to his disciples standing on the mountain, right? There's going to be deceivers and false Christs to come. And usually what we do is we say, well, that's a warning to us. But it was something that every one of the disciples had to deal with. If you want to understand it, read the book of Acts, because it's all over the book of Acts. False prophets, false teachers, false Christs, Judaizers, right? Was that part of their life in their time? Is that still part of our life in our time? For sure it is. And do we need to be less concerned about being deceived than they did? No. So we still need to be on our guard about deception, Right? We still want to make sure we're grounded. First John 2:22. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is antichrist. He who denies the father and the son. He who I want to ask you a question. The, these Bible studies are full of questions, right? If you if you come just to get spoon-fed, you're going to be unhappy. <laughs> I want I want us to grow in our understanding of what does the Bible teach. So think about it. Ask yourself the question. 1 John 2.22. At the time when John wrote this, who was the group in the forefront denying that Jesus was the Christ? Crazy, huh? Right? The priest, the, 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 the old Covenant ways, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the scribes, the Judaizers, right? No, I'm not saying there were never a Gentile. Of course there was. <clears throat> but the point is, they denied that Jesus is the Christ. What did John say of that? That's the spirit of what? Antichrist. That's saying Jesus Christ is not the answer. Jesus is not the answer. There's a different answer. Jesus is not the answer. It's a different, and that's part of the deception that came upon at the disciples days has been a part of church history until today and we still see the pattern through the Old Testament prophets all the way to Revelation. Same pattern. And when I see patterns over and over and over again it helps me go, okay, we need to be on our guard for this. Amen? We need to be aware. 1 John 4.3, every spirit That does not confess Jesus is not from, or yeah, that can, let me say it again. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now is in the world already. Was that attitude that we don't need to follow Jesus in the world at John's time? Was it in the world at Peter's time? Yeah. Was it in the world in the time of the disciples? Is it in our world today? Are there people that say, we don't need to follow Jesus, that's archaic ideas. In their day, they were saying, that's too new, we don't need Jesus. Now they're saying, that's too old, we don't need Jesus. We need a better, a new system, we need, you know, communism is going to save us, or socialism is going to save us, or this political entity will save us, or that political entity will save us. The spirit of Antichrist is alive and well in the world. That which is in opposition to Jesus Christ. 2 John verse 7, for many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is a deceiver and an antichrist. So the attitude, the point that I'm saying is, the disciples were dealing with it and we're dealing with it. The spirit of that which is in opposition to Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. This, this stuff is alive and well. So the first warning he gives us, the first warning, don't let anybody lead you astray, saying, I am the Christ, for they will lead many astray. What's the second part, he says? And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Now, I don't know if pattern trips a trigger for you, but when, when Jesus moves from white horse to red horse in Matthew, it alerts me to white horse and red horse in Revelation. So first they come promising peace and they deliver war. Uh, I come promising peace. We're going to build back America better. What has been delivered? There's lots of promises and I'm not not picking on, please, I, I, I hold all politicians with the same derision. So, I'm saying I'm not picking on one or the other. There's lots of promises, but no delivery. Because there's one king under heaven by which all men must be saved one name, Jesus Christ. He is the king. Anything other than that is ultimately in opposition to him. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. What's he say next? Do not be alarmed. What does he say next? Do not be alarmed. If I had a nickel for every book that gets sold every time a new war comes on and somebody declares that the end of the world is nigh, is it true? Well, if they keep writing books, eventually they'll be right, right? (laughs) But Jesus says there will be wars and rumors of war because any king that's not Jesus Christ is not going to end in a kingdom that will not pass away. What happened to the head of gold in Daniel's dream? It became a chest of silver, right? The Babylonian kingdom, was it eternal? They declared themselves to be eternal. Nebuchadnezzar built a statue and said it was all gold because Babylon would never pass away, but Babylon did pass away, didn't it? It became Medo-Persia. And then Medo-Persia declared themselves to be the last kingdom of all the world, and what did it become? Greece, Greece. It was conquered by Alexander the Great, who made the declaration that we're the greatest kingdom ever until they were conquered by Rome. The one thing that we see over and over and over again, right, is they can't deliver the promise. The promise can only be delivered by Jesus Christ. He is the one that we must follow. See that you are not alarmed for this must take place, and the end is right around the corner. What's it say? The end is not yet. So we want to be good students of the Bible, don't we? So listen, wars and rumors of wars is not a sign that the end has come. It's a sign that the end is not yet. There will be signs of wars and rumors of wars. It says in Revelation chapter 6, verse 3, now when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, come. And out came another horse, bright red, and its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people would slay one another, and he was given a great sword. The second rider of the apocalypse. Right? So, you have following the idea of deception, the promise of peace, but the delivery of war. And now when war is delivered, what happens? Who's the next writer? You guys have studied Revelation before. Who's the next writer? Yeah, famine first. Death is coming. Don't worry. Famine, famine's first, right? Because what happens with war? War stretches, people, you burn crops. The next thing you have is not enough food. The next thing that you see is is not enough food. What does Jesus say? He says, nation will rise up against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famine. There will be famine. When he opened the third seal, I heard a third living creature say come and I looked and behold a a black horse and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand and I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying a dozen eggs for 20 bucks (laughs) a quarter wheat for a denarius three quarts of barley for a denarius but do not harm the oil And the wine. So you have this same picture. Now, when I look at scripture, right, and I'm looking at Revelation, and I see Revelation as future, and I see Jesus talking to his disciples about the things they're about to endure, and I see pattern. The same pattern overlaid Matthew 24 is going to overlay the book of Revelation. And when we ask ourselves, oh, but I don't know, that's just two places. Then I'm reminded of the first exile in Babylon. And Ezekiel wrote these words, For thus says the Lord God, How much more when I send upon Jerusalem my four acts of judgment, sword, famine, beasts, and pestilence, to cut it off from man and beast. So when God's judgment came upon Israel, you had at least a similar four horsemen of the apocalypse. Was there deception in Israel before the exile into Babylon? Yeah, there were false prophets saying, keep fighting. God's going to give us the victory. We're not going to go into exile. And what was the result of all those promises? War. How many times? Three times, Jerusalem is going to be conquered. They didn't have to be conquered three times. It could have just been conquered once. But They listened to the false promises and they found themselves with war. What followed war? Famine. What followed famine? Pestilence. The ultimate result? Death. So you have a pattern of God's judgment on Israel going to Babylon. In Matthew 24, I submit that you have a pattern of God's judgment going into the destruction of the temple and Jerusalem. And I would say we have that same pattern in Revelation. So when we look toward the end times, we're not just pulling ideas out of a hat and saying, I think this means, you know, Cobra helicopters and missiles. But we see it, right, played out on the stage in the scripture so that we can hold on to the truth of what God's word is declaring for us. So was there wars and rumors of wars at the time of the disciples? Yes. Is there more today? Yes. Right. Yes. So we we have this idea, right? You had something called the Pox Romana in 17 BC, <coughs> but by 64 AD, you got nothing going on in but Pox Romana. You no know, Pox. Pox means peace. So you didn't have Roman peace. You had Roman War. Everybody was rebelling everywhere. There was revolution all over the place in the Roman Empire, which for them was their world. For us, is our world bigger today? So when they talk about their world, they're talking about, in essence, the Roman Empire. When we talk about the world, we're talking about a globe, right? Because we, our understanding of the world extends beyond theirs, Right? So we have a great, so we, we know we see these same things going on. We know we see these same promises. And what is Jesus' word to us? Jesus' word to us is do not panic. He says, see that you are not alarmed. These things must take place. Why must they take place? These are the fruit of man in rebellion against God. And until the rebellion of man is put down, the fruit of the rebellion against God will be deceit, war, famine, and death. Just like he told us about Revelation, just like he said in Ezekiel, just like we see here in Matthew on the Mount of Olives. There will be famines and earthquakes. Where? In various places. So is he only talking about Judea? No. He's, Jesus is talking about things globally. And we know there have been earthquakes. There were earthquakes back then. If you come with me to Israel in 2024... Every ruin we walk up to where you have all these rocks laid down that used to be a city, they're going to say, hey, this city was destroyed by a earthquake. And then you'll go to another one and they'll say, this city was destroyed by an earthquake. And today when we look on the news, are there earthquakes? Are there in various places? Let me explain. Earthquakes and famines and all, these, all this part of of uh, the chaos of nature is a sign of creation in rebellion against God. In Romans chapter 8, Paul would write, all of the world is groaning for what? The unveiling of the sons of God, for the redemption of the world, so that the world will be redeemed. When is the world redeemed? When Jesus Christ returns. Amen? When Jesus Christ returns, there's the, the chaos, there's not going to be earthquakes everywhere. We're not just going to go, oh, it was a hurricane, oh, it was a tidal wave, oh, it was this, oh, it was a that. There's not going to be any of that. Because all of that is our are, are, are fruits of man's rebellion or sin against Holy God. And Jesus is laying it out for us in Matthew 24. And he says this about Matthew 24. This is the beginning of birth pangs. Now, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Amanda had baby Azariah. She's here today with baby Azariah, the most famous baby. She probably did not want me to say anything, but it's too late. So Amanda had baby Azariah. To me, it's the most beautiful and incredible picture of redemption that I can hold on to. I I know it's a sorrowful time. I desperately miss my friend, Levi, but when I hold that baby, there's something healing about that. The Lord says, this is the beginning of birth pangs. What do I know about the beginning of birth pangs? One day there will be what? A child. And when that child is born, it will be a glorious day. We're looking for the, the dawning, we're looking for the, we have a sense in which the kingdom of God is here now because Jesus Christ, by the way, the Bible declares Jesus Christ is seated on the throne of David in heaven. So there will be a day Jesus Christ will sit on the throne of David on earth. He will reign as king on this earth. Physically, he will rule, and reign. And so we are looking for and longing for, and Jesus is saying to his disciples, the destruction of the temple, the chaos that we're going to see is not only going to be here, it's going to be global, and it's the beginning of birth pangs, which means there will be a day when it will be the end of birth pangs. There is a time when it is started, and there is a time When it will be finished, there will be no more. There have been famines everywhere, earthquakes all over the place. I love the fact that when we go to Scripture, we can read about them all, but we have a tendency to forget. When Jesus died on the cross, what happened? Oh, there's an earthquake. When Jesus rose from the dead three days later, what happened? Oh, when Peter was arrested... And the Lord was setting him free. What happened? That's crazy. <laughs> That's a crazy? You have all these examples of, of earthquakes. And we and, and I'm not saying those are the only ones. There we're we probably know of more earthquakes that have occurred today by itself than back then. But these are signs and symbols of a world in rebellion against God. Now, verse nine. Jesus is going to get very personal to his disciples. He uses a a time word. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation. Were the disciples delivered up to tribulation? First persecution recorded in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 4. They were commanded not to preach. They were threatened by the Sanhedrin. In Acts chapter 5, the apostles were arrested and put in prison, commanded not to teach in Jesus' name in Acts 5.28. The persecution escalated, resulting in the death of Stephen in Acts chapter 6 and Acts chapter 7. A great persecution arose in Acts chapter 8, sending the Jerusalem church throughout Judea and Samaria. The church began to scatter throughout the world. Men and women were dragged from their homes. They were put in prison in Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 26. They were put to death. Herod, in order to please the Jews, begins to persecute the believers, resulting in the murder of James, the son of Zebedee, one of the sons of thunder. In order to please the Jews, Herod arrested Peter. We just alluded to the fact that Peter was uh, escaped due to a divine earthquake. Paul, Peter, and John all write about intense persecution that they endured. And each one of them, with the exception of John, is going to suffer a martyr's death. Will we see tribulation? Yes. Yes. So, did they. What we are seeing when he says, then you will be delivered up to tribulation, he's saying a world in rebellion against God will not abide the holiness of men and women who are following Jesus Christ as their Lord. They will not abide it. They will not abide your belief system, your ideas, the things you think are important. If you had told me five years ago that everybody on, the, on earth practically would think that having drag queens read stories to children was a good idea, I would say you should stop smoking crack. <laughs> but today, that, is, that was pushed for in Twin Falls. And if you think it won't come to Buell, you are crazy. Judging from the decorations for Pride Month in Buell Public Library, I would say they're definitely aiming for it. If you stand for Christ, the world will hate you. Did Jesus teach that? The world will hate you. He said, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And they did. Every one of the disciples. If you read the story of the martyrdom of the disciples, it should both um, break your heart and excite you because those men did not even resemble the men who began their journey with Christ. Most people don't know that traditionally when Peter was crucified upside down, his wife was crucified with him. Then they will deliver you up for tribulation. They will put you to death. You will be hated by who? All nations. So is there a sense in which the disciples experienced it for real in their life in Jerusalem? Yes. And is there a sense, a sense in which we, believers today, will experience it in a world with all nations hating those who follow Christ? Yes. Yes. Jesus is describing this reality. He is saying, you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake and then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Was that something that occurred in the disciples' lives? If you join us this year, if you've never read all the way through the Bible, I would, I, there's no way I can encourage you stronger to do the one-year Bible challenge. It's not hard. It's just <clears throat> making a, a choice, being disciplined to say, I want to know what the Word of God says. We read the whole Word of God in Paul's writings. If you read Paul's writings, he is saying over and over again so and so used to be with me, he left. Such and such used to support me, they don't support me anymore. They're, they've turned away to different myths and fables. They've turned away from the truth. It was happening to them in their world and it is going to be and has continued to happen as a part of church history today. This is the reality of what it looks like when we choose to follow Christ. You will be, but nobody in here ever been betrayed? <laughs> Look, I'm sure I have betrayed people. And I can tell you I have been betrayed by people. The scripture lays out for us that this is going to happen. Many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And we're talking about trying to see the body of Christ. Here's. Here, here, I'll give you guys a pronouncement so we can stoke the fire for Jackie. I am not a dispensationalist. I don't like dispensationalism. This is sh- if you've been coming here very long, that should not shock you. Um, I'm, I, I've, I've, I've never really been super stoked about dispensationalism. What does that mean? In reality, it means I believe God has one. Covenant people. I would say it like this there is not Jew or Gentile, barbarian, Scythian, this just sound familiar, slave or free. We are all one where? In Christ. We are one in how do we get into Christ? By faith in Christ. So if we're all one in Christ Jesus, then When Jesus prayed in John chapter 17, and he said, Lord, let them be one like me and you are one. Can you imagine? Can you imagine God not answering that prayer? What's going on? We are so divided by our little tribes. We are so tribal. And people ask me, why why are we not effective in our world today? Well, I'll tell you, because we can't stand together. Because the people who like modern or worship with guitars and drums don't like hymns. And those two people don't want to talk to each other. (laughs) And then the people who think you can wear shorts to church and the people who wear ties, they don't want to talk to each other. Now, I know I'm being silly, but we're tribal like that. We're tribal like that over what I would say are non-soteriological doctrines. I'm going to say all doctrine matters. Okay, all doctrine matters, and we should strive to move toward truth, right? And the Bible's the final arbiter of what that truth is. So we're trying to move toward truth in that regard. We want to have truth, but I'm not going to divide unless you don't believe Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. I'm not going to divide if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and believe that has brought you into a relationship with him. And another brother says, well, Jesus had faith in you and that's how come you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, but they both believe that Jesus Christ is the one who brings that relationship. I say we don't divide. I say we say, let's stand together. And I I will make jokes about what you believe. And you can make jokes about what I believe. And we'll sit around a round table and we'll do do our best to explain to one another our differences, right? The distinctions between us. But we ought to still be brothers. 1 John chapter 4, Jesus said, How can you say you love God and hate your brother? John would say, you can't love God whom you have not seen if you cannot love your brother whom you have seen. Now, is the Lord going to challenge us in that? Hallelujah, he is. Has it been really hard for me sometimes to maintain relationships that I thought... Man, we're both brothers. Why can't we work this out? Man, I got blood, sweat, and tears from those. But when those relationships are redeemed, there's no greater joy than to know my children walk with God. Isn't that what the word says? So... We recognize, okay, there's this lawlessness that's going to come. There's this falling away. When we look at the Bible, we look at the scripture. What did Paul write in Acts 20? Paul said, after my departure, what will happen? The fierce wolves, savage wolves will come, not sparing the flock. What will their desire be? From among your own self, your own body, These wolves will come, arise, men will arise speaking twisted things to draw after themselves disciples for themselves. Paul, in Paul's day is saying, yeah, man, it's, this is, this is hard. Relationships are hard, right? Did, did Paul have a relationship that broke in his life? And was it ever redeemed? Praise God. It was, yes, man. False teachers. First, false false teachers. First and second Timothy, whole book. Feel free to read it. All about what to do about false teachers. What about false prophets? Acts chapter (coughs) thirteen, verse six says, and when they had gone through the whole island, as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar Jesus. Did the disciples have to deal with false prophets? Yes. Yeah, they were going on. Second Corinthians eleven. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan himself disguises himself as an angel of light. Did they deal with false teachers, false apostles, false disciples? The things Jesus said they were going to experience, they did. And that pattern is repeating still because we live in a world in rebellion against God. That's the similarities. Those similarities are still true. Peter writes in Second Peter chapter 2, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even de- denying the master who bought them. Bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow in their sensuality. <clears throat> because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Did Peter and those guys deal with the very things Jesus is warning us of? Yes. Pattern is prophecy. When we see patterns repeating and repeating, though we don't have the word being delivered, we don't have apostles today writing more books of the Bible, right? We have the books of the Bible that we have, but can we see the same patterns that they saw? Can we see the same events that they struggled with? Listen to what else Jesus said. Verse 12, and because of lawlessness, and because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. What did lawlessness increase in their day? Have you ever read about the last days of the Roman Empire? (laughs) Well, if you do, if you want to read a over a thousand page book, the uh, rise and fall of the Roman Empire, and if you set that on your table and a newspaper next to it, you're going to see some amazing similarities. What is it that Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6, 9? Paul writes this. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Not the sexually immoral, not idolaters or adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, not thieves, not greedy, not drunkards, not revilers, not swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Do you think Paul wrote that because he never heard of those things? Do you think we cornered the market? That our current debauchery of our time, that, that, that somehow that this is the only time it's been like that? Is it getting worse? Maybe. For me, it's getting worse. My scope is kind of limited. You know, I have 58 years to look at. But in 58 years, it seems like it's getting worse to me. Amen? But they were experiencing it too. They were experiencing these same things. Look what Paul says in verse 11. And such were some of you. Now, I look out over this crowd, and I am proud to say that in this place, there are formerly sexually immoral people, former idolaters and adulterers, Former homosexuals, former thieves and greedy, former drunkards, partiers, swindlers, and today you will inherit the kingdom of God because Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. And such were some of you. But we've been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? And this is where we want to focus. So what does he say? He says, look, in those days... You are going to experience lawlessness, right? We experience lawlessness. Here's the warning. And because of that, the love of many will grow cold. That's an important warning for us. Because in John 13, verse 35, Jesus says, this is how people will know you are my disciple, by the way you love each other. But the warning from Jesus is because of lawlessness, because of drama, because of the struggle, because of the reality of the persecution and the tribulation and the hardship, the love of many will grow cold. You read the book of Revelation? Revelation chapter 2, Jesus begins the seven letters to the seven churches with the church of Ephesus. What was his warning to them? You have left your first love. Because of lawlessness the love of many will grow cold and we want to be careful of that because the sign is not does not say they'll know you're my disciples because your doctrine will be perfect. It does not say they'll know you are my disciples because you are able to conjugate all the Greek verbs. They will know you're my disciples by your ability to read and understand Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic. He says, they will know you are my disciples by your love. And today, sadly, the church is known by their division. These things ought not be so. I, I have a hard time with some Bible teachers. I listen to them and I go, what in the world are you talking about? And my next question that I, that I want to ask myself when I, when I do that, because I'm not talking about sloppy agape where we just say, I love everybody and whatever you think is okay. That's not what I'm talking about. The Bible is the final arbiter, Right? But when I was going through Bible college, once once upon a time, I'll tell you a little story. Once upon a time, I'm really filled with zeal. You guys ever been filled with zeal? I had a lot of zeal, and so the 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 uh, Jehovah Witnesses used to use my house as a training house to bring all their mission. And they'd say, if you want to find out if you're ready for the street, we go to Jackie's house, and they'd come to my house and literally I sit down in my office. I used to, This was like fun for me. Sorry, I'm told you. I'm a little weird. And so I'd sit down and they'd come in and we'd sit down around the table and we'd just be going. And the very first time I did it, I came back to my, to my teacher at Bible College who was doing the, he, I was in a cults class at the time. And I was like, man, I, I'm trying to talk with him, but we covered like the whole Bible in two hours and we didn't get anywhere. On the best advice, second best piece of advice I ever got in Bible College He said, next time, just focus on Jesus. And I think there's a nugget of truth in that for us. For figuring out how unity works, you know, I don't know, we'll make mistakes on the journey. But we want to focus on Jesus. Who's Jesus? God. In the flesh. Right? The, I'm reminded of the Apostles' Creed. It seems like a very simple profession of faith. But to focus on Jesus is the main thing. Now, my friends on the left. Oh, I shouldn't say it. I'll say my friends in the front and my friends in the back. Because you guys will think I'm talking about Democrats and <laughs> Republicans. <clears throat> my friends in the front. They're excited by the gift of tongues. My friends in the back are pretty sure the gift of tongues is gone long ago. But they should be able to function together because our focus is Jesus. And I want to I worship Jesus. I want my eyes on Jesus. And I love my Pentecostal friends just so I can remove all. So right now, there are half the church is panicking that Jackie's going to start speaking in tongues now, <laughs> and the other half is sure he never has. So let me be clear: I do have the gift of tongues. I use it in a biblical way. I believe a biblical way, and I absolutely believe it is for today. This message is not about that. So you have to come to breakfast if you want to argue it, but. I also, I love the body of Christ wherever they're at. And I want, I want us to recognize that the challenges that Jesus is laying out for us are here in the first 14 verses. They're still happening today. He said, this is how the world's going to be. Jesus says this, in the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have How do we overcome the world? How is it that we can overcome the world? We we ask ourselves the question, how can I overcome the world? 1 John 5, 4 and 5. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. How do I overcome the world? I'm born again. The Holy Spirit of God has taken residence within me. The Holy Spirit of God is empowering me for service, to be the man he's called me to be. And he will give me whatever gift I need for the moment when I need it. And it will accomplish what it's sent to accomplish. And you don't even have to believe it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I have friends who are cessationists who have felt like the Spirit of God encouraged them to go talk to somebody. And I would say, amen. Amen. He did that same spirit of God that maybe you think that part was gone, but it's not gone. It's still here, but we don't have to call it that. And I don't care. You just know the spirit of God instructed you to do something and you were obedient. Amen. Does the spirit of God speak to us through his word? Hallelujah. Is that the best way to receive the spirit of God? Yeah. Cause I know it's tr- right. Don't I? If I open up the Word and the Word of God says, love your brother, I don't have to go, I wonder if that's from the Lord. What do you think? Is that God speaking to me or is that just my pizza from last night? I don't have to wonder because it's right there in the book. Amen? Yes, the Spirit of God is alive and well and speaking to the church today. Listen to how Jesus finishes this up and we'll close. Verse 13, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. <clears throat> this is not Jesus attempt to argue eternal security or the lack thereof. This is the call to the saints. It is always too soon to quit. It's hard. I'm sorry. It is always too soon to quit you have need of endurance do you think we've seen the world as bad as it's going to get I kind of hope so (laughs) I'm, I'm hoping we're at the edge somewhere but I will not stop I will not quit I will not deny my great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, and I don't care what they put in front of me to make me do it. I have decided to follow Jesus. There is no turning back. Jesus says, the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel, the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. Now, I don't want to muddle your brain too much, but I want you to know that every one of the apostles proclaimed that that occurred in their lifetime because their world was smaller than ours. This is why pattern is important. It doesn't mean that it was accomplished in their time and so we should do nothing. Because our world is bigger. They, look, they didn't know nothing about the Amazon. They didn't know, they knew stuff about Africa because they, they, they went there. <clears throat> but they didn't know about some of the places we know. They didn't know about the United States. They didn't know about people groups in other places. So the, world, the word used here for world is a word okamene. It means the inhabited world. So they took the gospel to every person they knew. Every place they could get because they heard the words of Jesus Christ and they were faithful to his command. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, so go therefore. Make disciples of every nation, every nation. And so they were faithful in their time. They were faithful to it all. We have a bigger world today. We need to be as faithful today. This is why the Bible is living and powerful, and it has, uh, it has a purpose in us today. It's still challenging us while it challenged them. They endured tribulation, so will we. They endured persecution from the world, so will we. And they didn't quit, and neither should we. They reached out until they reached their whole world, so shall we. We won't stop. We won't quit. We won't give up because the word declares when the gospel is proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, then the end will come. That doesn't mean, oh my gosh, as soon as we get to that one Tribe in Amazon, then Jesus will come back. No, listen. He's saying, that we're going to get to the come part in a minute. But this that Jesus has described in these first 14 verses, this is life with Christ throughout all the ages. As we keep our eyes on the prize, we endure We take the truth everywhere we can. We learn the lessons that they taught us. Why is it that the writings of the apostles apply to us? Because they were going through tribulation and they're encouraging us. Hey, this is what we did when we faced tribulation. You do the same, right? So we make that application and we move forward. For the one who endures to the end will be saved. What's it gonna be like? What's it going to be like that day when either you leave this world and go to him or he comes to us? What's it going to be like? And on that moment, when you see Jesus face to face, ask yourself this week this question. Is there anything I would trade As I look at Christ, is there anything I would lay down? Is there anything else I would do for Him that I wish I had finished before this moment occurred? And if there is, get it done. That's the point. Don't quit, don't stop, keep moving forward. Until we see the king. And when you see him, no regrets. Not, I wish I'd have done one more push up. Not, I wish I would have done, I wish I'd have lost a couple more pounds. I wish I'd have finally got my hair cut this particular way or I'd have got that tattoo. No. When you see his face, and Jesus is going to say, You got an opportunity with the king. He's going to look in your eyes. He's going to throw his arms around you. He's going to hug you. He's going to welcome you to the kingdom. In that moment, just ask yourself, what in my life would I lay down today for that moment? What, what's in the way? What's slowing me down? What's hampering me? And then let's lay it down and be who Christ is calling us to be. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we come before you this, this morning... In thanksgiving, we thank you, Lord, for all that you have done. We thank you that you stood, you sat there on the Mount of Olives, overlooking the Temple Mount, and you said, Let me tell you guys, you disciples, what kind of life is coming. It's gonna be hard, it's gonna be difficult, there's gonna be struggles, there will be betrayal, but you need to know. I have overcome and I'm going to make you an overcomer. I'm going to make it so you can stand. I'm going to make it so that anointing of the Holy Spirit empowers you to be the man or the woman that God is empowering you to be. <clears throat> that you can accomplish <clears throat> His perfect will. That you can be so much Surrendered to Christ then you can be surrendered to this world Lord I thank you that there's more to tell us this is not the end you're going to give us more insight you're going to give us more insight to what they're going to face you're going to give us more insight to what we may see in our lifetime you give us insight into the pattern the prophetic patterns found throughout the scripture You challenge us, Lord God. I thank you for your challenge. I pray, Lord, that we would be men and women uh, ready and willing to stand with you. To have linked arms together with one another. Even if we don't see things exactly the same. We do see Jesus Christ as king as our great God and Savior, as the only one who is able to save. And we pray, Lord, in and through it all, you would make us able. And as these days grow, wax worse and worse, as we see man's rebellion climb, may we be like the prophets of old, standing on the corner and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. God be glorified in this place and magnified here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.